Hello and welcome back to Second Opinion, where we're embracing the trend of new year, new us. We covered some incredibly exciting topics last year, from the cutting edge with innovative pricing and decentralized clinical trials, to the fundamentals with transformation principles and strategic partnerships. The trends that dominated last year around cost of care, availability of data, and the influence of patients are only strengthening, and we are seeing organizations continue to evolve to meet the changing needs of healthcare and patients. Against this backdrop, we at Second Opinion are sticking to our mission statement of staying relevant. Relevant to the industry, relevant to the challenges you are facing, and relevant to our expertise. In this vein, we're kicking off 2023 with a bang by spotlighting our experts to inform you just exactly what you should be preparing for within your organization. Through our work within the life sciences industry, we have spotted a range of opportunities for pharma to step up and improve their relevancy to the healthcare industry. The most competitive of organizations are already beginning to invest in many of these, but in two areas most of all, patients as individuals and data ubiquity. Now sitting at opposite ends of the human digital spectrum, both of these areas are incredibly influential on the success of pharma companies, touching every part of the value chain from research and development to sales. On the one hand, we have the increasing patient choice and the need for the industry to provide greater value, a vital movement inspiring crucial value drivers such as patient support programs, which help patients manage the emotional and social consequences of diseases like cancer or diabetes, as well as morally imperative strategies around health equity, which is about helping patients from all backgrounds access equal quality of healthcare. Meanwhile, on the other hand, we have the explosion of data, which is allowing pharma companies to learn more about their customers and their patients, in turn reducing unnecessary costs through calculation and automation, further improving the value delivered to the healthcare systems and all-around win. In the centre of this spectrum, there is a complex challenge to manage competing priorities, as emotions meet facts. An increasing understanding that patients' overall quality of life is as important as clinical outcomes, must align with the efficiency improvements offered by automation. In this podcast, you'll hear from our experts exactly how they complement each other, how the key to success in patient support is data, and how the smartest approach to data is a human-centered one. So without further ado, let's dive in and hear from the experts exactly what should be at the top of your wish list in 2023. First, let's look at the human side of the equation. Executives, thought leaders, and even out-of-industry commentators have been talking about the growing agency of patients for years. Recently, however, a more important trend has emerged, the individuality of patients. Well, what does this mean? Well, as much as patients are becoming more powerful, their needs are becoming more distinct, and understanding the manifold nuances to make up a single patient has become more important than being able to group them into far too large boxes. To speak to this, I'm sat down with Jalila Gibson, an associate partner at Penn. Jalila spent the bulk of her career working in the pharma space, seeking to use new ways to meet the oftentimes complex needs of patients and customers alike, especially through use of new channels, technologies, and strategies. Working on a full range from digital health strategies to brass tax implementation across global markets, Jalila has seen it all for different therapies and approaches to solving the question of the decade. How do we put patients and customers at the center of our business? So 
Let's start at the beginning. Why is it so important that we look at patients as individuals? I've often pondered why we don't look at patients as individuals. Um, I understand that it's easier uh, to try to think about patients in terms of their therapy or their disease, but increasingly we see patients taking ownership of their therapy and their disease, wanting to be seen as individuals themselves. So when we also ask ourselves, do we really understand the patient? Then we can find new and different ways that we can support them that really start to differentiate us, pharma, uh, from the rest. And what do we see as kind of the advantages that that will start to pose in terms of the difference that's going to make to our business and the way we work? I think that's a really important question because it's not doing this just for the patient. It's also thinking about how does this set us out from the others, which then in turn improves um, what we can deliver from a business perspective. Uh, and so when we uh, think about um, what this means, the different ways uh, from a business perspective, uh, there's two things. One is when we start really thinking about the individual patient and how we can better serve them, it opens up avenues of innovation. Um, and with avenues of innovation, it gives us an opportunity to stand out from the crowd. Um, the other uh, uh, thing it provides us, though, is uh, with data. Data to confirm how better can we uh, support, how further can we support, how how do we differentiate our offering uh, so that it makes sense, um, and through all of that, how do we add value? Yeah, and later you'll hear something from Nick Reynolds who will speak to exactly how as an organization you can prepare to handle and equip yourself to manage this type of data. But then when we look at patients from a more human angle, how do we find that pharma is starting to act differently on a very on-the-ground level with patients? Um, I've seen some great examples, actually. It still comes back to data, but this time it's uh, seeking to understand type data. Um, and uh, where I've seen um, pharma doing well in terms of acting differently is when they're starting to differentiate uh, their offering, their communication, starting to think about patient diversity, um, starting to think about patient choice um, in a lot of this. And you can see that uh, evidence by uh, more and more people coming forward asking us for support around clinical trial diversity. Uh, and then there's the uh, people asking for support on how do we uh, better design our patient support programs so that they not only support the patient um, and can do it across the different types of patients, different styles of patients, but that we can also start to measure the value. And then given that, do you think that this is something that only teams in patient services and really non-commercial areas should be looking at? Or is this something that affects far more of the business than we perhaps think about? Again, um, uh, really interesting uh, uh, question that you pose there, uh, because ultimately it does need to get to the rest of the business, the rest of the organisation. Ultimately, what what I truly believe, what drives me in particular, and what drives quite a number of people within pharma that I've um, uh, grown up with, as it were, uh, is uh, uh, this desire to be more patient centric. But what that means is that every part of the business needs to be really clear on what is the experience of the patient. What is their role in making that experience better, smoother, easier uh, for the patient? And, uh, and then equally, how well are you asking yourself, did I add value? Yeah. And it's interesting, I think we so often move into the softer terms and the very empathetic language when we're talking about patients, as we should. It's a complex field and not enough time is taken to really understand who they are and where they come from. But 
We talked about your skill in the brass tax of implementation. So what's the brass tax of patient engagement? What should people really be doing that they perhaps aren't thinking about when it comes down to operations at a granular level? <laughs> How much time do we have? <laughs> um, I think some of the things that perhaps people don't um, always ask themselves is, first of all, how easy is it to access the patient? Because uh, to really understand the patient, we need to be able to have honest conversations with them. Uh, so we need to think about what are the policies that are in place, the SOPs that are in place, um, and how do we perhaps reimagine what some of those uh, need to be so that we can really engage and ask the, the patient um, the questions that we want to ask without the, 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 uh, the filters that are in place at the moment. Uh, the second one is making certain that we're really clear on what data we're collecting, what the purpose of that data is, and how freely available is it back to the data. It's never owned by us. It's owned by the patient. But that also then means we need to be um, thinking about our consent language, where is it stored, all of those factors that you know we don't really want to talk about, but actually it's about you know, increasing trust. Um, and the third piece is how do we harness digital when it matters? Um, and by saying when it matters, I mean there are elements of digital that make it easier for us to uh, think about, uh, sorry, to deliver our messages uh, um, and our intent to the different types of uh, patients that we will come across, right, in a really simple and effective way that we can, uh, we can measure. So it's not digital for the sake of digital, it's where it makes it easier. Yeah, and there's something really interesting there around user sensitivity and user understanding. I think something that we see a lot of is almost presupposition of patient needs and preferences that haven't been truly validated or worse. I think in a time where we have lots of information about trends and occurrences, um, perhaps tied to certain demographics, it's really easy to make suppositions that then lead to exacerbation of trends. So people assuming that certain racial groups will behave or want to interact in a certain way and then almost making that trend worse by building around it. Something that I and my team have been looking at a lot more recently is diversity in clinical trials specifically and the experience that can sometimes be received as a someone from certain backgrounds within the healthcare system and the way that those conversations can sometimes be a lot less empathetic and as a queer man myself I've had a certain number of conversations even when going to donate blood for example that have not been the most sympathetic when asking questions that are quite personal. In further examples, it can be even going, stretching even further than that. Um, the experience of black women in the American healthcare system can often be dismissive and dangerous. These questions are starting to become things that we need to think about more and the value of understanding that experience in order to be able to tackle challenges and almost go above and beyond to support these patients is something that people are really waking up to, which is exciting to see. And you said something earlier that really resonated with me. It's this idea of it's not about getting rid of segments, but rather moving towards hyper-segmentation. And so rather than looking at a racial group, you're looking at loads of different individuals that fit within that and contextualizing what we might understand from trends against the reality of their situation and their voice, hearing what they have to say about what they need and what they want from us. Yeah, no, thank you for reminding me of that. And it's true, we often um, want to simplify um, uh, our operations because it's easier for us or easier for pharma. Um, I say us because that's why I used to sit in pharma. Um, but actually, it's the opposite. The opposite is true, which is we need to hyper segment 
um, so that we can better personalise. And that's where the harnessing of digital will help us and the harnessing of AI will help us as well. So you need to almost create some assumptions first. You've got to get started, but then allow for some flexibility in how you approach it based upon the reactions of the people you're trying to interact with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for those listening in terms of when they're looking down the barrel of what they might be looking to implement or progress or transform in the coming year, do you think there are any major pitfalls or challenges that perhaps a word to the wise can help them with or uh, warn them of before they start down this path? Uh, Well, many. Again, how long do we have? Um, But what I would say is um, when I've faced um, challenges in the past, when I've uh, tried to progress things uh, internally, what I found has really helped is having a very clear uh, vision and mission, which is based upon the patient. Right, or even the customer, but because we're talking about the patient, the patient, being really clear on that and communicating widely. So when you face barriers, you can come back to this is why we're doing what we're doing. right? And it's written in the language of the patient because you've spoken to those patients and you know what it is that they need from you. And then usually you'll find people will help you overcome the barriers rather than put more barriers in your place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, that alignment sits both internally and externally. Uh, It's a complicated machine working with patient engagement. I think traditionally we in pharma have always looked at it as a something that is um, relegated down to a specific parts of the value chain. But because now they're starting, people are starting to wake up to the fact that the whole business is involved. There's a lot of catching up to a certain way of working and a certain way of consideration and buying into the overall statements, which is really important. Um, But I'm for one incredibly excited to see where all of this goes from one end of the value chain with uh, patient support and the really human, uh, high patient-facing, high patient connection level of care that goes on on that side, all the way back towards clinical trials and even operations in between and bringing in that voice. Is there anything in 2023 you want to see more of or you're particularly excited for when it comes to patient focus? I think what I would really like to see is more of a... Uh, question of do we really understand what the patient wants and then activities to try to drive that understanding rather than uh, what we currently see which is we make assumptions based upon that patient's treatment or their uh, disease area Um, but patients tend to not want to be segmented by their disease or their treatment Uh, so it's that's what I'd like to see more of. Amazing well thank you for taking the time to speak to me hoping to see more of uh, what you have to say and what you have to work with over the next year. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity, Srinivas. Thank you. I love this idea of how, instead of discussing the end of segmentation, instead moving towards hyper-segmentation, allowing us to view patients as nuanced individuals while still benefiting from scale efficiencies offered by digital and data. It's a perfect segue into our next topic, which is around exactly that, how to build data literacy into your organization at a time of data inundation. But remember to keep thinking about the human elements. Our industry is, despite all the complexity, ultimately at its center, a human-centric one. And being able to tie value to this is crucial. Value for patients and healthcare, of course, but also value for us. 
In 2023, we expect to see an advancement on the patient-centric shifts of the last couple of years, moving from simply patient-centric thinking to actually informing and driving decision-making with patient data. And with that, let's talk about the data explosion. The data explosion sounds incredibly hyperbolic, but it seems like the best way to describe the proliferation of data as a resource, which we have seen throughout the pharma value chain in the last few years. As an industry, we are, of course, intimately acquainted with data and its importance within clinical research. But recent evolutions have brought data into customer engagement, treatment delivery, and even internal operations. The ability to use data to hone operations and improve the service delivered to both physicians and patients will be invaluable in the coming year. And it's vital that pharma companies are appropriately equipped to leverage it. We're not talking about how to collect, store, and govern data. That's the lake. We're more concerned with how to incorporate data into decision-making and strategic processes, building the aqueducts. I can think of no better person to speak to this than Nick Reynolds, an associate partner at Penn who specializes in everything data and analytics. From a 19-year career advisor within strategy and analytics to now serving as an expert advisor supporting companies to look at data with an end-to-end angle. What are you collecting, how, and why? So, Nick, why is this explosion in data availability so exciting for pharma? Thanks for joining us. Good afternoon. It's not just about the explosion in data availability, to be honest, but also our ability to do something with it. If data is the new oil, we needed new engines to benefit from that oil as well. And we certainly have had an explosion over the past few years in the technical tools and capabilities to make that happen. In 2015, 90% of all data had been created since 2013, so in two years. And everyone alive today on average is creating more than a floppy disk worth of new data every second, if you know what a floppy disk is, Srinivas. I know you're a bit young. So data may be the new oil, but with that amount of scale, if companies don't have a plan for how to use data efficiently and effectively, they're not going to be able to harness it. The data exists, the tech exists, so the explosion is really about the people, the human factor that will enable companies to have an impact through better understanding of diseases, of us as people in a population and what we do every day and the impact it has on our health, of treatment decisions, of patient outcomes, of the customer experience, of engaging with pharma or life sciences companies, and what we do that helps or doesn't help. The data can tell us a huge amount about all of this, but only if we are forewarned and forearmed to be asking the right questions and using the right data to generate those insights. But with more data comes more complexity. And in fact, a Gartner survey of senior execs earlier this year, possibly the end of last year, stated that 65% of respondents felt decisions are more complex than they were two years ago. So more data not well used is more noise. It's more things to review and check. It's more work. But if you start with the end in mind and consider the required data and information to make the decisions and identify the best choices, your decision-making can become more consistent. So if you build the right aqueducts, you can push that water through that you were talking about in those lakes far more efficiently and effectively to the right people to make the right decisions at the right times. And in so doing, you reduce some of that complexity. Amazing. And appreciate the uh, metaphor, the analogy being shared. Have you noticed pharma companies starting to recognize this? So in terms of that survey of people putting their heads up and saying, right, this is more complex than it used to be. 
there's more that we need to sift through and more that we need to understand more clearly before we make decisions. Do you see pharma execs starting to understand this and take action about it? Totally. I think it's it's a key part of what we need to do, right? We have more and more data. So if we think about clinical trials, we're seeing companies now that are bringing all of their clinical trial data together and have it, housing that in a way that they can use it in real time to inform other clinical trials, right? In a way that wasn't possible before, even down to day-to-day monitoring of recruitment, right? If we look at the commercial side of things, I think that the proliferation of data created a kind of divergence and suddenly everyone had loads of data and was trying to measure everything. But quickly, you've, people realized you, you can't do that because you need to inspect what is going to drive the decisions you need to make. So you get what's inspected, not what's expected, right? And so if you're measuring the wrong things, you'll get the wrong outcomes. And of course, people know this, right? It's, this is nothing clever or rocket science. I think it's just uh, with more data coming through, there needs to be more focus and diligence around actually making it happen. There was a huge hiatus in face-to-face interactions with HCPs through lockdowns and the like. But at the same time, a 500% increase globally in remote engagements. Remote engagements create data we never used to have when our CRMs were just collected by the rep saying, rep A had met rep Dr. B and nothing else. Now if the data and tech is set up right, We can know not just what a customer has clicked on in an email, but what content they viewed on the website as a result, how long for, what they reviewed, where they went on a third-party site, what email was sent to them afterwards, what webinar did they attend, then when the rep comes in or the account manager, what they did with them, what content was shared, etc. And even third-party sites if data agreements are in place, right? You can see and understand that whole journey. This enables us to know rapidly what is and isn't working for individual customers and collectively. We need to be able to therefore update our content quickly to keep it relevant and of value and to do so in the right channels at the right time that meet the needs of the individual customer. It's like Netflix. Knowing our customer better through data here is an absolute game changer to how pharma could and should engage its customers. Yeah, that makes sense. And then we've come here to talk about and focus on 2023 and all that that brings. What do you reckon that people in these sorts of positions will be focusing on and thinking about over the next year to start addressing this challenge? I'd like to think there's two pieces. The first piece is adaptive planning, right? So really starting to think about decision-making in different ways. So rather than being in a situation where you have all of the data, but then you have a fire drill and you have to respond with the data that's in front of you, it's about making decisions when you have time so you can be objective and then using the data to enable you to take the decision at the right time. So by having adaptive planning, by putting in place the right measurement and really asking the right questions, you can be far more specific and focused on the data that matters and make the right decisions, right? And on the other side, I think it's really around making sure that data is integrated in the ways that enables that to happen. And I think we've seen some companies have been doing it for years with master data management and really bringing things together in ways that have a profound impact on understanding of, of customers and what's happening. But I think there's a, a real need and a drive across much more of the industry to get there now because if you just look at having having a customer data management and customer masters where with omni-channel and multi-channel and any other buzzword you want to throw at it, if you don't know which customer is doing what where and you can't link it all back together, then you haven't got a journey. You've just got a bunch of data across a bunch of channels. So by getting those customer masters in place, you can say that Dr. Jones has indeed started from an email, then gone to a website, 
then in, had a rep visit, then joined a webinar, and then prescribed a medication. I mean, if you're in the US and you get to that level of data, right? But that connection is where the real power of data comes from. And it's interesting there, you mention a potential challenge of kind of having this data but not having enough context or uh, environmental data to link it to and then it being meaningless. Are there any other big challenges or pitfalls we have noticed or potentially worry that organizations may fall into? Are there any pitfalls? I, th I guess it's just about being diligent and structured up front and taking the time to actually plan what you do here, right? I mean, there's the technology side of it and there's the actual volumes of data side of it, right? And let's park that piece because there are systems, processes, capabilities to do that. It's the human piece of actually stopping and asking yourself the right question. So for any measurement frame that you are building, people need to spend the time to actually understand what is the question that we need to answer. So what do we need to learn and then actually generate the measurement at the back of it so that you've got the right data to answer the right question. And if that data doesn't exist, create ways to actually generate that data so that you are actually answering the question you need to answer and not just falling back on standard old school metrics because that's what you used to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I guess something else I noticed a lot is uh, when talking about these sorts of when talking about data, when talking about this sort of transformation, often we look at it within commercial operations and with customer data because it kind of feels like the newest thing where data was so previously bound to R&D and drug development, it feels new and fresh in commercial development. But then there's plenty of areas as well looking through non-commercial and patient services. Are the principles that we talk about here and the principles that you've been working on, do they apply across the board or are they more restricted to customers? Again, if we talk about the human factor and data literacy and how to make sure you are setting yourself up for success in using data, then it doesn't matter what the situation, challenge, problem, process is, right? You need to understand what is the question you're trying to answer, what is the best way to answer that question, and how do I then make sure I've got that data and I'm using it in the appropriate way. So setting up your decision architecture so that you are able to actually answer the questions you need to answer in a timely manner is, for me, really the key thing. And that comes back then to also ensuring you have an organization of people that are not just numerate but are data literate and are able to actually be agile around data and play with data and get to the point they need to get to within that framework. So it doesn't matter where you sit or what sort of data it is. If you don't have a reason for looking at that data, it's going to be very hard to answer a question with it, right? You just end up creating your own data segues. I guess the question that will be on everyone's mind, and especially... I'm sure you get asked this plenty of times when heading into clients for the first time and working with people who are starting to tackle this challenge. But with all of what's ahead, with things like adaptive planning, with things like data cross-referencing, all the infrastructure, all the strategy and all the nuances of this, what's the first piece of advice that you give in terms of approaching a subject that I think for many feels far grander and far more um, unimaginably large than they uh, care to think about? Pause and just think about it. And I know that sounds really stupid and a bit ridiculous, but in all honesty, you know, you can very quickly jump in and say, right, look at all this data. Let's all stick it in the cloud. Let's all access it through whatever it is and let's use whatever software to do it and let's buy all the widgets and gadgets and everything else. But if you end up with a tech solution without a problem to solve, then you haven't solved anything. You've just created a different problem, right? And so really spending the time to understand what data you have and what it's used for is critical. So 
even going before that pause, actually cataloging what you've got and what it's used for and what it potentially could be used for alongside what are the key business questions or strategic dilemmas or whatever you want to call them that the company needs to be understanding and monitoring for and then making sure that what you build enables that to happen, you're going to have a much higher chance of success than saying, hey, look, guys, we've got our data here. It used to be there and now it's here. And we've got these really cool, funky dashboards that you can use to get hold of this stuff. That's great, but I don't look at my business that way. Absolutely. And as we heard about earlier, when we look at things like patient services and patient support, all of these things are underpinned by the amounts of information we have about them and to inform them. So if the infrastructure and the aqueducts essentially are there to support all of it, then it can drive any manner of exciting transformations. One of the most interesting trends for me in the last couple of years and what I expect to see in 2023 is organizations waking up to see that the sexiest and most transformational moves in pharma around patient support, around devices, around integration with healthcare will be underpinned by the beast that is data and to your point, data literacy. So these insights are incredibly uh, influential on where we want to go. So thank you very much. Well, thanks, Shani. It's been it's been fun um, having this chat and talking at you for however long. But um, I think the closing words: the analytics team is dead. Long live the analytics team, because I think what we're seeing at the moment is a massive transformation in roles and responsibilities with data, as it becomes something the whole organisation can access. And if it's done well, then analytics teams increase in value to an organisation, and data increases in value to an organisation because everyone can have access. So right up top with this, you asked me about what's the exciting piece. For me, as someone that's lived and breathed this space for far too many years, I would say it's the fact that democratization is finally a reality. So you can use the right data at the right time. As we've seen across a range of industries, not just ours, data is a new currency that is the baseline for a cornucopia of change. Given the scale of it, how do we get specific and tangible when there's so much that we can consider? As Nick has just captured, it comes down to thinking about infrastructure, not the data itself. With the growth of online banking, the volume of money being handled was irrelevant, but it was innovation and payment systems that changed the way we handled money across the globe. Similarly with data, it's important to not be paralyzed by the weight of data that needs to be handled, but instead to think about the decisions that need to be made, by when and with whom. In short, look at processes and capabilities to build the aqueducts, and then the water will flow. In the last couple of years, we've seen waves of innovation in the way patients are served, in the way we are paid for medicines, and even in the way that we work with each other day to day. I believe wholeheartedly this rate of change will only continue in 2023, as new technologies emerge and new entrants seek to play a role in the healthcare environment. Pharma will need to evolve to continue to be seen as critical components in the delivery of care, raising the bar for the quality of health outcomes they deliver, and finding new ways to support healthcare systems with growing and diversifying patient populations. 
From the human to the digital, everything is up for grabs when it comes to transformation. So don't run the risk of being caught flat-footed about change that excites you. Whether it's something you've heard today, or one of the many other trends that we've covered here at Second Opinion, we are always ready and looking forward to talking about the future of life sciences and how we can help you be a part of it. So from us to you in the new year, thank you for continuing to listen to our thoughts and perspectives, and we're excited to keep pushing the peanut forward. As always, I've been Srinivas Anakindi with Second Opinion. Have a great day and a fantastic 2023.